Some time ago, I attended my first and only NASCAR race at the Evergreen Speedway in Monroe, the Coors 200. And uh, Jeff, do you remember that? Jeff and I were there. Jeff invited me to go along with him. And uh, I found it to be kind of a cross-cultural experience because I don't generally go to those kinds of things. I don't know anything about cars or about the strategy involved. Um, do we have NASCAR fans in the audience? In the congregation? Okay, we got a few. All right, well, you know a lot more than I do. Um, so I, you know, I wasn't quite sure what was going on with cars going around endlessly. And, and uh, However, the race did get very interesting because there was one car that was way ahead of all the others, you know, lapping them, lapping the other cars, and the nearest car was, you know, so far behind. And I think there was about 100 meters to go to the finish line. And do you know that that car began to slow down all of a sudden, sputtered to a full stop, and did not finish? Remember that, Jeff? I was amazed by that. So, so close to victory, and yet no cigar. You know, the agony of defeat. And you know, here was a driver that was on top of his game. You know, he had the trophy within his grasp, only to run out of gas. And I can't help but see uh, some parallels in life. I can think of many people kind of on the fast track, you know, uh, People who are high achievers, uh, many who are outwardly successful, people who seem to have the world by the tail. I mean, things are just going great. When all of a sudden, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, they run out of gas. Uh, we refer to this condition, of course, familiar term to you, is burnout, right? And burnout has a lot to do with the experience of chronic stress where the demands made upon us by our job or by our particular life situation exceeds our own inner resources to cope. And, uh, and you know, that, those uh, circumstances, those pressures can, uh, can so get to you that it can paralyze you, right? It can bring everything to a full stop, a crashing halt, well short of life's finish line. Well, in our scripture lesson this morning, we meet a fellow who uh, suffered a classic case of burnout. He is a fellow by the name of Elijah. You've probably heard of him. He's a prophet. Uh, and it's kind of surprising that, uh, that he should suffer such burnout because he's such a hero of the faith, you know. Uh, he's at top of the list of the prophets, you know, in the Old Testament. Uh, and when Elijah first comes on the scene, this guy can do no wrong. I mean, he is, he is just so full of God. Um, talking about being at the top of the game, full of faith. He was full of irrepressible energy. Uh, the guy would outrun chariots. <laughs> I mean, it was just amazing. Elijah knew that God had called him to stand up for God's cause against King Ahab of Israel. King, Hab was, King Ahab was not that smart a guy. Uh, he was especially not smart in marrying a woman by the name of Jezebel. Jezebel, you know, even the name is synonymous with evil woman. 
Uh, and, but, uh, but he went up against her and, uh, with, uh, with great boldness. Jezebel was a foreigner. He had, been, had married a foreigner, and she brought with her uh, her 450 prophets of Baal. She brought with her all these foreign gods. One of them was Baal. And these 450 prophets were continually trying to turn the hearts of the people of Israel away from the one true God. So as it turns out, Elijah does battle with these prophets. He turns out to be the great victor on top of Mount Carmel. And uh, in the end, what he does is actually he, he, uh, he slays the 450 prophets of Baal and removes them from the scene. Um, it's kind of gory, but you can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah's victory over the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. But I'm not going to deal with that story, but I'm going to deal with what happened afterwards. For we are told that when Jezebel caught wind of what happened to her prophets, she was so furious, she went on the warpath like no other. She vowed revenge. And surprisingly, Elijah, the great prophet, totally lost his nerve. And so we read in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, we pick up a story. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is also known as Sinai. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me, too. Talk about running out of gas. What are you doing here, Elijah? Not long ago, you were on the top of your game. I mean, single-handedly, you slew those 450 prophets on, on, uh, on Mount Carmel. You were sticking up for the one true God. But now, how did you get to this point in your life, Elijah? Running away in fear? Ending up in a cave? Feeling sorry for yourself? 
What are you doing here, Elijah? So that Elijah was exhibiting some of the classic symptoms of burnout. So listen and learn. Life can overwhelm us all. Sometimes the pressures of life can really get to us, whether it's at work or when we're caregiving or, you know, life just kind of caves in sometimes. Life can turn on a dime. Everything can be going very smooth and everything's at ease. And then suddenly the demands and the stresses of life can easily outpace our inner resources to cope so that we're in over our heads. And if we start to exhibit some of these signs, we're headed in the wrong direction. So what are these signs of burnout? I think you probably know some of them, but looking at the example of Elijah, let's look at his, look at his experience with burnout. One symptom of burnout is Elijah's depreciation of his own worth. Elijah came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. We know that we're setting ourselves up for emotional burnout when we don't like the way things are going, and we begin to put ourselves down. You know, we play that little tape in our heads. Well, I guess I'm a nobody. I don't matter anymore. I'm a loser. Whatever I'm doing, it just doesn't add up to anything. My life is so insignificant. I have no value, no better than my ancestors. And we make matters worse when we compare ourselves with others. Look at those fat cats. They seem to be doing very well. Man, look at me. Take my life, oh Lord, I'm no better than my ancestors, so that we become our own worst critics. This shouldn't be happening to us. Woe is me. Constant negative self-talk is a sure demotivator. Now, Elijah's burnout was also evident in his irrational belief that it was his job to control everything. I know, or he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. But Lord, I've been so zealous for you. I've been so good. I've still worked so hard for you, but no matter how hard I try, they still won't cooperate. They won't listen to me. Elijah was a man of God. He was called to teach and to preach, right? Leading people to the true God of Israel. But the people would not respond. They kept tearing down the altars of the one true God. So he seemed to blame himself. And that just fed into his negative self-talk. I guess I'm just a lousy prophet. <laughs> Maybe you should call somebody else, Lord. <clears throat> I've been zealous for you, but apparently not zealous enough. I don't know if you've ever struggled with a, with a desire to want to control everything. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I fall into that mode. I learned very early as a young pastor that I can't control everybody's spiritual life. I can't, uh, I'm not responsible for everybody's spiritual life. And I can't bring anybody into the kingdom. I can't save anybody. Because that's God's job, right? Um, but when I start doing God's job, that is a surefire way to experience burnout. So I had to learn that early. 
and essentially what I do is I sow seeds and I pray the Holy Spirit will somehow grow people from those seeds that I throw out. But that's God's job, right? I can't control how people will respond. I can't make everybody all right with God. I can't reconcile people to God. That's what God did in Jesus. <laughs> so uh, when you start playing God, you know, that's a losing battle. In fact, the desire to want to control everything is called the Atlas Syndrome, acting as if the world, you know that old uh, Greek uh, fable? You know, it's kind of like, it's your job to carry the world on your shoulders, and it's a terrible burden to bear. So if you think your job is to control everybody and make everything turn out right, if you, if you think of yourself as the managing director of the universe, then you are headed directly for burnout. There are many things that are simply out of, out of our control. Remember the old prayer, you know, the famous prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept uh, the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. So not only did Elijah depreciate his worth and try to control everything, but in the crisis, he exaggerated his problem, his problems. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And so Elijah has a little pity party. <laughs> I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one who's being faithful here. Everybody else has bent the knee to Baal. You know, woe is me. I don't know, there's something about, uh, we kind of enjoy having a pity party. I don't know what it is. We kind of wallow in it, right? Kind of a strange thing about human nature. We like to feel sorry for ourselves, and we feed on it. But it just takes us down. I'm the only one who cares. Well, really, Elijah? Are you the only one who cares about God's cause? And later in the story, God reminds him that at least 7,000 others have not bent the knee to Baal. But when the problems overwhelm you, everything is wrong with the world. It's always a glass half empty, then full, right? Woe is me. I'm the only one who cares. So that negative self-talk trying to control every situation, every outcome, exaggerating your problems. No wonder Elijah was depressed. And yet even further evidence of Elijah's burnout was the fact that, uh, that he lost his vision for life. Not his physical vision, but his spiritual vision. The vision that God had, imp had implanted in his own soul. Because he forgot his calling. So exhausted was he, physically, emotionally, spiritually, he just wanted to give up. He had nothing to live for anymore. He had no purpose now. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Nothing else to do. So that Elijah stopped caring. And when you and I stop caring about our work, or our relationships, or our own self, then indeed we have a full-blown case of burnout. You forget your goals. You lose your vision, your sense of call. You lose your purpose in life. Apathy leads to despair, and despair leads to depression. And you can just throw in the towel. 
Elijah prayed, I've had enough. I've had enough. So Elijah's in a bad way here, right? There he is. He's out in the wilderness all by himself feeling sorry for himself. But in a very beautiful way, God cares for Elijah in his burned out state and nursed him back to health. And God did so by asking him to tend to three things. First, God says, rest your body. When Elijah knew that Jezebel was after him, he ran away into the wilderness. Exhausted, he found uh, shelter under the scant shade of a broom bush, not very tall, and he fell asleep. But then we read the Lord ministered to Elijah's physical needs. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. God, through the angel, cared for his physical self. It makes me think of Jesus out in the wilderness because after he endured all those temptations, we read, and the angels came and ministered to him, restoring him physically after having not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, right? So the first step in overcoming burnout is a no-brainer. Take care of your physical self. Eat properly. Sleep enough. And lots of us do neither. In times of stress, we either eat too much or too little. And the lack of sleep is one of America's number one public health problems. Notice God doesn't say, when depressed, go shopping. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, when depressed, go shopping. Vince Lombardi, the famous coach of the Green Bay Packers, once said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And that's true because when we are physically tired, we just can't handle a whole lot. I mean, if we are a mess physically, you know, we're not going to be able to handle the emotional and spiritual stuff. Rest your body, says the Lord. And then God says, refocus on me. Your vision is way too limited, Elijah. You have to enlarge your perspective and get the bigger picture of what I'm doing in the world. And God drives the point home by giving him a little lesson. And so we, can, we read, then the Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, stood at the mouth of the cave, and then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, by standing on the mountain, you know, and then, you know, exhibiting uh, 
uh, all of these things, you know, the, the earthquake, the wind, the storm, and then the voice, it was all the way that God refocused his prophet. It was as if the Lord was saying, look, I'm in control. I am sovereign. And whether it looks like it, or whether it looks like it or not, I may not always be working in the most spectacular or obvious way, but I am still at work and I will accomplish my purposes. And I want to use you, Elijah. Listen to me. Take the focus off yourself and off all your problems and focus on me, for I am the Lord. So that Elijah, more than anything else in his depressed state, needed to listen to God. That's God's prescription for us as well. We have to listen to God as he speaks in Scripture and in prayer and in worship. And that's why it's so important for us to gather together, at least on Sunday mornings. Because then in quietness, we can listen to the Lord speak and get perspective on life. Because so often we lose it. Life gets so crazy, we get so distracted. We forget what we're about. We forget our calling by God in this world. And so we, we get spiritual amnesia, right? And so we come Sunday after Sunday after st Sunday to regain our perspective, to refocus on God. Rest your body. Refocus on me, says the Lord. And then God says, rely on my power. You notice I got the three R's going there? This is a model of sermonic ability. Rest your body. Refocus on me and rely on my power. Problem with you, Elijah, is that you have been trying to accomplish everything in your own power, depending only on your own resources. No wonder you're depressed and so burned out. You have not turned to me to discover that my grace is sufficient for your need. I will give you the power and the energy to do whatever it is that I've called you to do, but you must turn to me. You must depend on me day by day. You have not reached out to me in faith, Elijah. You've been doing your own thing. You are too full of yourself. So that these words from the book of Isaiah could very well be applied to Elijah and to all who are suffering burnout. Why do you say, O Jacob, O Elijah, O people of MPC, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. He's not burned out. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Well, God doesn't give up on his prophet. God gives Elijah a new assignment. 
the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram, also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mahola to exceed you as prophet. Go, says the Lord to Elijah, I have new things for you to do. And God sends him out with restored vision and new energy. Now, some of us here may uh, be headed towards burnout or experiencing uh, it right now. Some of us may just feel overwhelmed by life itself. I mean, there's so many things. You're, maybe you're burning the candle at both ends. I don't know. Life's problems kind of came in on you. And perhaps those problems seem beyond your capacity to cope. In fact, they probably are. And it may be that you are, your tank is almost empty. Maybe you've run out of gas. But when we find ourselves in that spot, feeling sorry for ourselves, as we often do, then it behooves us to listen for that still, small voice. And if we listen carefully, we will hear that voice say, what are you doing here? And that question that God asks, I don't believe God's scolding uh, us when we hear that. What are you doing here? He's not scolding us. Um, but I think that that question is designed to lead us to self-reflection. How in the world did you get into this predicament? And how are you going to get rid of it or get, get out of it? What are you doing here? And if we listen carefully, we'll hear the voice saying, rest your body, refocus on me, rely on my power, and know this, I've got more for you to do. I've got great things in mind for you to do. Serve me. Know that I am the Lord. I am God. Find your energy in me. What are you doing here? Come out of your cave. There's much for you to do. Go forth in my power and in my name. And I'll supply the gas. You just keep your eyes on me. And together, we will cross the finish line of life. To God be the glory, so may it be. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, there are times in our lives when life just kind of falls apart and we're at wit's end and uh, perhaps it feels like we're burning the candle at both ends and uh, uh, we've had enough. We're, we're beyond our inner resources to be, to be able to cope. So Lord, well before that, help us to turn to you. Help us to turn to you for that energy that we need to do your work, to live out our call. And Lord, when we get out of whack and we lose our perspective, then may our eyes indeed go back to you to refocus, to realize that you are bigger than any problem or life situation we face. So Lord, lead us onward. Show us the way. Help us to get out of whatever pit we're in, whatever cave of depression we might find ourselves in, and help us to live out our calling. In your son's name we pray, amen.